I mean, if you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 7, uh, beginning with verse number 18 uh, this morning. Uh, as I was working through this, uh, this message this morning, I kind of was reminded about uh, the time of celebration we'll be having this week for the 4th of July, a great opportunity that we get to, to come together as a, as a nation, and we just get to sit around, and uh, we just uh, enjoy freedom, don't we? And uh, we'll get to go, and we'll get to uh, irresponsibly shoot firecrackers. We'll get to uh, irresponsibly grill, uh, set a fire and grill food on the grill. And we'll just really get to enjoy the freedoms and the blessings that came to us. Not only that came, most ultimately, that uh, blessing from, uh, from God, but came as a, uh, as a great sacrifice to, uh, to many who gave, uh, who gave their lives and uh, who gave of their families in order for us to, uh, to have that freedom. And uh, as we think about uh, our title this morning, about it being uh, thinking about a waste of time, uh, I want us to think about, we're reading this morning about John, someone who gave his uh, freedom uh, for a cause. And as we read these verses uh, this morning, I want us to think about a challenge that Christ gives to us through other parts of the Scripture, that we live a, a life worthy of the calling, that we live a life worthy of of what Jesus has done for us. And so I want to ask us this morning, as we read these scriptures, are you living a life that's worthy of the price that was paid for your freedom in Christ Jesus? So let's read together in the book of Luke, chapter 7, we'll begin with verse number 18. It says, And the disciples of John reported all these things to him, uh, all these things to John, calling two of his disciples to him. He sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the man had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, uh, or shall we look for another? In the hour he healed many people of diseases and of plagues and of evil spirits, and on many who were blind, and uh, he bestowed sight. And he answered him, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord for all the many things that you've blessed us with. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come and to worship you, Lord, this morning. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that we do not use this time of freedom that we have, Lord, just for ourselves, but we use the openness, Lord, that we use the freedom for what you intended it for, for it to be an opportunity for us to share the gospel, Lord, around the world. Lord, and I pray, Lord, as we read these verses, we think about sometimes that we have our doubts, just like John did about our faith and about our salvation. And so, Lord, as we go through these verses, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'll just speak to us. Lord, that you will speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, giving us the assurance, Lord, that you are real, and challenging us, Lord, to live more for you each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John the Baptist was one of the, the great characters that we have in Scripture and John the Baptist uh, is rightfully uh, recognized for his walk with the Lord because he gave up so much 
in order to follow Christ. He gave up so much in order to live out the call that God had placed upon his life. First of all, he gave up the comforts of life. He gave up the comforts of life. We see John, and even from the time that he was born, he was declared that he was going to be somebody special. And so even from the time of his early youth, he did not enjoy any of the fruit of the vine, which would be anything that would come from uh, grapes, whether it be wine or grape juice or uh, raisins or anything uh, such as that. And uh, he lived a life of isolation. He went and uh, he, he didn't have the normal food that we have, but he had a, uh, a meal of uh, locusts and honey. And doesn't that really sound appetizing? And he wore skins. And uh, worst of all, he had to go out into the middle of the desert in order to preach. And you know why he went, had to go out to the desert and preach the gospel? Because it was too hot for him to come to Mississippi and preach the gospel. And so he gave up all of those comforts in life in order to follow Jesus, in order to follow the call to which that God had placed in his life. So he gave up the comforts of life, but he also gave up his glory. And we know about the, uh, the, the, the time where Jesus came to see John the Baptist. And this was a time where John the Baptist's fame was growing. And there would be Pharisees, and there would be Sadducees, and there would be just regular Jews, and anybody who would just want to come and hear this preacher, they wanted to come sort of experience this, this baptism. And people were asking, and the, the, the mumberings and the whispers were going, it's like, is this the Messiah? But yet, he surrendered, and he gave up that glory. He said, no, 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 it's not about me, but there is one who's coming after me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. And when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. And even as he had disciples who followed him, every time he happened to bump into Jesus, he would point and say, hey, Look, there's the true one. There's the Messiah. There's the one who you need to follow. He gave up his glory. But he also gave up his freedom. He was a, a preacher, and he wasn't afraid to speak the truth. And he encountered one of the uh, Herod, who was the, uh, the Tetrarch there at the time. And he confronted Herod about his sin because he had taken the wife uh, of his brother. And John confronted him. And John suffered a, a prison, and there he was in prison, not for, for killing, not for stealing, not for any crime, but really for the highest crime that there was, and that was upsetting the powers that be. And there's no punishment quite like what you get when you upset and speak against the powers that be. And so there is John, after doing so much for the glory of God, to doing so much for the kingdom of God, there he was very shortly after he began his ministry, very shortly after he pr pronounced and pointed out and baptized Jesus, he finds himself in prison. And in that prison cell, doubt started to seep into his mind. And he asked himself, you know, was it worth it? Was it worth it for me to give up all the comforts of life in order to do this ministry? Was it worth it to pass up on the notoriety and the glory 
in order to serve what Jesus Christ was it worth it to give up my freedom to stand up for the truth of God and to preach boldly? Was it worth it what I put in to my walk with Christ? Or was it a waste of time? How many of you are asked that question in your heart, your life? Sometimes we're not honest with each other about the doubts that we face in our walk with Christ. You know, sometimes doubt can uh, seep into our hearts and our lives when you find, uh, find those uh, low points in our life. And so John found himself at a low point in his life there in that prison, isolated from his ministry, isolated from his disciples, isolated from what he thought God was calling him to do, and he started to doubt. And what was causing him to doubt? Well, the same things that cause us to doubt our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first thing is, is that to John, you know what? This just didn't feel like winning. Me locked up in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, you know, it just doesn't seem like we're winning. You know, we're supposed to be the team that wins in the end, but this just doesn't feel like winning. It seems like every time someone stands up for God, it seems like they get put down, they get shut up, they get cast aside. And every time I try to do something for the Lord, every time I do just something for the church, it just seems to backfire me, backfire on me. And so it just, it just doesn't feel like winning. It doesn't feel like God is watching over me. It doesn't feel like God is blessing. It just seems like all of this is a waste of time. And so we doubt. The next thing that would probably bring it in the John the Baptist behind is time. Aren't we some impatient people? All of us are. We want things now. We want to see results now. And probably what John the Baptist thought, and he knew of the coming kingdom of God, and he knew all the things in Scripture that the Messiah was promised to do. And he said, okay, here's Jesus. Now we're going to get this ball rolling. Now we're going to start to see things start to happen. But they weren't happening in the time to which John was thinking and hoping that they would. And so he started doubting. How many times have you asked God for something? Are you prayed for something? Are you took something to the Lord and asked him to work it out? And the moment lit, like you get off your knees, you're expecting the thunder and lightning to come and things just to start happening and things to start rolling and things to start moving, but yet nothing happens. We want God to work in our time, but God's on his time. But our patience is very, very, very thin. So Jesus, it was taking more time. And thirdly, what caused John the, uh, to doubt is something that causes us to doubt as well. It's really not what we expected it to be. You know, when I started out for this ministry, John would think in his heart, this is how it didn't, how I thought it was going to turn out for me. Maybe he thought that he would have the fame. Maybe he thought there would be instant victories. Maybe he thought that uh, he would have a long, prosperous ministry, but he never thought in any sense of imagination that he would wind up there in that prison cell. And so many times of us, we'll look at our life and say, you know what? This walk with Christ isn't what I expected. I thought more people would like me. 
I thought it would go a little bit more smoother. I thought I'd feel the presence of the Lord in my life more. I thought I'd have more up high mountains, but I got so many down valleys. And it just doesn't turn out to be what I expected. And a lot of people walk with Jesus for a while. And they get impatient. And they get in those valleys where it don't think like, like it doesn't feel like winning. And they'll come to those points in their life and say, you know what, this isn't what I expected. And they'll walk away. But Jesus doesn't want that to happen to you and your doubts. And so he shows us this morning about how Jesus responds to our doubts. And so there he was in the prison cell, and uh, here comes his disciples. They come and check on him every once in a while. These are John's disciples. They're not Jesus' disciples. These are John's uh, disciples, and they're coming up, and uh, they're giving uh, uh, John some updates every once in a while. Hey, uh, we hear that Jesus is dead. That's here. We see him uh, feed this many people. Uh, here we see him, this one. And he's kind of thinking in this uh, uh, process, and he's just kind of lining up in his mind, and he finally says, well, let's, let me just go send you to ask him. And he says, is this, are you the Messiah, or should we seek another? Isn't that the question we ask in our times of doubt? Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one or do we seek another? A lot of times we choose the latter. When Jesus and the walk with Christ doesn't turn to be out as what we want it to do, we'll seek something else. We'll seek a more comfortable religion. We'll seek a more prosperous Christianity. We'll seek something that's a little bit more friendly to the way that I won't want to live. We'll seek another. But what John says, look, I want to know the answer. I want to follow the true God. So I want to know Jesus. Just tell me. Are you the one, or do we seek another? And so his disciples go, and they find Jesus. And they find Jesus to the point where he's by himself, pretty much. The book of Matthew tells this in the context where he has just sent the disciples, those 12 apostles, he's just sent them off on a field trip. He's done sent them off on a field trip to, uh, to minister to people and to let them be on their own and experience the power of God in their life and uh, to see how they're going to do. So Jesus is kind of there by himself. And so here comes the disciples of John and said, John, uh, Jesus, we are, we are the disciples of, of John, and John has sent us to ask you a question and, uh, because he's been having some doubts, and he just wants to know straight up, are you the one? Or should we seek another? And I want us to know, notice Jesus' response. He did not rebuke them. He did not strike them down. But Jesus answered them in their time of doubt. And isn't it good to know that Jesus will answer us in our time of of doubt. He knows the difference between those who are having a real crisis of faith, who are really having real doubts about their faith in Jesus. He knows the difference between the doubters and the scoffers. And the scoffers he encountered a lot from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, 
where Jesus would come and he would show them many miracles and they would say, well, just do one more thing. Show us a sign and we'll believe. Show us another sign that we'll believe. And they kept questioning and they kept doubting and they kept scoffing and they wanted more and more and more. And Jesus knew their hearts would never believe him because their hearts were hard. And so Jesus finally had enough of them because he knew that they were scoffers. But to those who truly have doubts of faith, he responds. Didn't he respond to Thomas after the crucifixion when they had church on Sunday and Thomas didn't show up? That's why he show up on Sunday, every Sunday. And they didn't see Jesus. And so they saw him. They were like, uh, you know, some of us, you know, you miss a Sunday, we'll start hounding you down. Where were you Sunday? Why weren't you there? Jesus came. And Thomas said, look, man, unless I see what you saw, and I won't believe. So the next Sunday he comes. See, he didn't miss no more Sundays. And Jesus walked, walked in the door, and he walked straight to him. And he didn't rebuke him, but yet he showed himself to him. God is responsive to us in our times of doubt. And listen to how Jesus responds to to John in this time of doubt. He says, uh, are you him or shall we seek another? And it says in verse number 21, it says, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And many of who were blind had their sight restored. In other words, he said, you have doubts about me. John has doubts about me. So I'm going to show myself to you. And that's what God will do in our times of doubt. If we'll honestly say, God, I'm having doubts. I don't know if you're the true one. I shall seek another. I'm kind of down here at the valley. I, I don't know how to get out. I just need, I just need you to show yourself to me in some way. And God does indeed show himself to you in those low points. Maybe something big, but most of the time it's something little. But in all those times, it'll be something that's a little personal. Because we have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? And he's a personal God. And he knows each and every one of you. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what makes us angry. He knows what temptations we face. He knows all about us. And so in those times of doubt, he knows how to respond to us in a personal way. So in our times of doubt, the Lord does not rebuke us, but rather he shows himself to us. And after he did those, those signs, and after he showed those, those, those miracles, and he said, and he showed those things, and the disciples of John saw it, and then he gives them this message, and to listen to this message, and I want you to pay attention to it. It says, he tells them, he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. So not only does Jesus in our times of doubt show himself to us, but he has commanded us as believers to go and tell everybody what we have seen and heard because when we talk talking about what Jesus has done in our life and what we have seen Jesus to do, it encourages other people who are going through those times of doubt. 
because we'll be going through times and I'll be down here in the valley and Cassie might be up here on the mountain. And so she can tell me what's going on and that's going to encourage me and that's going to bring me up. Or maybe I'll go and I'll be up on the mountain. Things will be going good, good for me. But Jerry, he's down in the valley and I'll start talking about what Jesus is doing for me and that's going to encourage him in his faith. And isn't it amazing that that is really the one thing that Jesus tells us to do? Hey, you just go out and tell me what you have seen and heard. Now, if you go to a courtroom, you have uh, the judge, and then you'll have uh, the lawyers, you'll have the prosecutors, you'll have the defendant, and then they will call up these people. And these people will go up there, and all they are there to do is just to answer questions and to tell everybody what they have seen and heard. And what do we call those people? Witnesses. And so everybody tells me witnesses, being a witness is so hard. Going out and witnessing people is so hard. But all it is is you going out and telling everybody, anybody, what you have seen and heard. That's not too hard, is it? If God has really moved in your life, then you can be a witness. Because all you have to do is let people want know what God has shown you in your own life. What you have heard and seen him walk in you. That is your witness. And that is your testimony. And that's what he calls you to do. Because not only will it bring someone to Christ, but it'll also help those who are believers in their times of doubt. So, he responds to them by showing himself to, to, them, to them. And he also responds to our doubts by playing others who tell us what he has seen, what they have seen Jesus do, what they have heard Jesus do. And then he gives them this instruction. He says, I want you to tell her what you've seen and heard. And he says, look, blind have received their sights. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead rise up. Because he knew, Jesus knew, that John would recognize the signs. He did those works. He showed them his disciples because he knew that when the disciples of John went and told John what they saw, then he would recognize the signs. And that's what, the, what Jesus' miracles were all about. They were signs. They were things that were given to let us know something about him, to let us know something about Jesus. So what do these signs, what does the, the healing of the, of the, the deaf hearing and the blind walking, I mean, the, the blind seeing and the lame walking and the demon possessed regretting their minds, the, the people getting fed, what are all these signs meaning? They are signs of Jesus's authority, that he was actually one with God, who had authority over all things. And all he needed to do was just merely speak to a storm, and the storm will obey. He only needed to speak to the blind, and the blind would see. He only needed to speak to the leper, and all of a sudden it would clean out. He only needed to speak to someone who had no hand, and all of a sudden the hand would come back. He had all 
authority. And the miracles represent that as a sign. But it's also a sign of Jesus's compassion, his compassion for everybody. If you look over in um, uh, verses 11 through 17, uh, which we had skipped over, it tells us the, the story about Jesus just walking down the road. And as he's walking down the road, here comes a funeral procession. And this is a funeral procession of someone, of a uh, mother who has lost uh, her son. And not only has she lost her son, but also her husband had also died. So this was the last person that was available to take care of her. And there was just great sorrow at the loss. And there was just mourners and people. And as he sees this procession going down the hall, uh, going down the road, he had a deep compassion for this woman. And he just stopped that procession and he raised that young man. From the dead. The signs show God's, Jesus' compassion. And that was in contrast to what we saw in the Old Testament with those priests. And as Ezekiel would call them, that they were the blind guides, they were the shepherds who cared more about themselves and feeding their own belly, but had absolutely no concern for the sheep. But Jesus was the great shepherd, and he had compassion on his sheep, and he showed the signs of his compassion. But also these signs pointed to Jesus' coming kingdom. And as he would restore the sight, and as he would allow the deaf to hear, and as he would allow the lame to walk, and as he raised the dead, it acted to only give a foretaste of what was to come in the kingdom of God. And doesn't that get you excited to know that we just get to see a little glimpse of what is to come when Jesus establishes his kingdom, where he will wipe away every tear from their eye. They will hunger no more, neither will they thirst. Isn't it great that he showed us the signs of what was waiting for us in his kingdom? And so he would see the signs. But most importantly, what was going to tip John off to that he truly was the Messiah, to truly he was the one who was prophesied to come, was this. At the end of uh, verse number 22, and it says, And the poor have the good news preached to them. The signs were nice, but they were only signals. They were only proofs. But the true principle, the true main thing of what Jesus was bringing to the people was that the good news was preached to the poor. The good news. What is the good news? Well, we'll be talking about that in, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you'll come this Wednesday, and uh, talking about what is the essence of the gospel. 
In other words, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And he appeared to Caiaphas and then to the twelve and then to five hundred, and that he is the one who has died for our sins and has been risen and now intercedes with God, I mean, intercedes with the Father next to the throne in heaven. It's the good news of sins being washed away. It's a good thing for all our earthly elements to be healed. But all those people who were healed and all those people who were raised will one day die again. And all those who Jesus did great miracles for will one day stand before the Lord and have to give account for their sins and be posed with the one question. Did you believe my son? He said, how do you know, John? Here's how you know that I'm the true one. He says that the good news is preached to the poor. Now, wasn't it preached exclusively to the poor? But him actually preaching it to the poor meant that it was all-inclusive, that it was preached to everybody. It wasn't just preached to the religious people. It wasn't just preached to the higher-ups. It wasn't just preached to the kings. It wasn't just preached to the good people, but it was preached even to the least of these, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that good news was now going out to everybody. When we have times of doubt in our life, we can see Jesus and God working all around us we open our eyes that we can see it. And if we listen to the people around us tell our stories, they can hear it. But if you look in the scriptures themselves, in the testimony that they have, they speak to us more clearly than anything that Jesus Christ was who he says he was. And as we read those scriptures, and as the Holy Spirit speaks to us through it, it gives us the assurance to work through those times of doubt. But notice as he works through John in his time of doubt, he gives them a bit of a challenge there in verse 23. And it says, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Maybe that was John's problem. He was there in prison. He was there in a time where it wasn't a fun thing to follow Jesus. And so maybe he was just a little offended. Maybe he just wasn't proud to speak the name of Jesus because he was suffering for it, because there was a cost to it. And too many people for us, that brings the doubt in our hearts and our lives because we live in a world today where people don't want to hear the true gospel, where being a true follower of Christ doesn't get you the prominent positions, where people will cast you down if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so a lot of us are now just offended to hear the name 
of Jesus Christ. And so even as we are believers, we want to kind of keep it on the down low. We don't want to have a Jesus conversation while we're out at the restaurant or when we're at the Walmart or when we're at the game or wherever it is we are. We want to keep it on the down low because we don't want people talking about us. We don't want people talking down to us. We don't care about what people say about us. And we are offended by the name of Jesus. But he said, blessed are those who are not offended in my name, by my name. Blessed are those who have the strength of faith that knowing that God's promises are sure that have the faith to know that we win in the end, that have the faith to realize and accept and live their lives according to the reality that Jesus Christ is coming again in victory and that he will establish a kingdom. And those who labor for him will rule with him. So it says, John, it says, John, don't be offended now and shout loud when I come back. But he says, I want you to shout loud now the name of Jesus and then shout it into the time to which I come and we all rejoice together. Is there doubt in your life this morning? Is there doubt in your life about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Today is the great day to settle those things, to recommit yourself to him, as he's revealed to you the assuredance that he is who he is. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning and give you confidence in his presence in your life. In Jesus' name, and, um, and may we respond to him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're thankful for your patience in your grace, in your mercy, even our times of doubt. And Lord, even though those many times, Lord, where we are so unfaithful, you are faithful to us. So Lord, this morning, during this time of invitation, Lord, I pray you'll speak to us that we'll open our hearts and let you show yourself to us. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.